As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest edition of Take It or Leave It. It's the show where we address your hot takes and we see if we think they're hot to trot or too cold to uphold. My name's Ryan Bailey. Taking it or leaving it with me today, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. I love that introduction, Ryan. I'm excited to do this one. I enjoyed this one last time, and now that Graham's not here, I'm going to enjoy this one even more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Graham Rutherford not here, but who is here is Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Man, Graham, uh, I love you, even if Taylor doesn't. Uh, mm. Taylor coming out and swinging. I, I'm just here wondering if we can fit the entire subtitle to the episode and to this whole concept that Ryan just tossed out there into the episode title in our, our hosting platform. I don't know whether the answer to that question is yes or no, but I am very <laughs> interested in trying. I think if past is precedent, if I am titling it yes, and if you people who have editorial experience are titling it no, that, that's correct. pretty much how it goes that, down. That is yeah. correct, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, for a moment, actually got confused about which one was the good and the bad out of hot and cold. Is hot like hot means it's good or bad? Like I, I got confused while halfway through these questions, but I think I'm, I think I'm on the level at the moment. Um, I do have a hot take, by the way, a non-soccer hot take to kick things off. Is it is it that you don't know if hot or cold is good or bad? Is that, is that your hot take? <laughs> that depends on the, hot take on the right moment. When it comes to like, bath yeah. time, I know which one. But when it comes to opinions, I don't know. I don't know, Ted. Um, my hot take, my non-soccer hot take to, to warm you guys up. Hot drinks are better to have on a hot day. Taylor, take it or leave it. I'm leaving that one. That's insanity. What are you talking about? You mean like having a hot coffee? I guess a hot coffee. Yeah. No, it still needs to be like a slightly brisk morning for me to really fully love a hot cup of coffee. Um, I'm talking like a hot cup of tea or a hot cup of coffee. Uh, there's science behind it. Um, hot beverages <laughs> trigger your body sweat response. I can't believe you didn't know that. Basically, your core temperature matches the outside a bit better if you have a hot drink. So it can make you feel cooler. I wish mm. Graham were here. <laughs> i did not know that no i think uh joe i don't know joe dropped for a moment joe uh ryan's hot take was that hot beverages are better on a hot day uh you live yeah, in arizona that's... you want that boiling hot cup of tea yeah. when it's 104 degrees outside yeah that's gonna be a hard no for me i'll be leaving that one like as far yeah. away from me as physically possible 
Okay. Hot food. Hot food I get, right? That's the idea. You sweat. The sweat cools you down. That's why you want spicy food when it's hot outside. Why are you guys trying idea. to make yourselves sweat when it's already hot? I, I, it cools I you just, down. Just, that's the whole point of sweating. <sighs> yeah, I get, well, if you're eating pet, outside, bro. maybe. I don't know. Just stay inside. Keep the AC on. Drink cold beverages. Eat food that should be at appropriate temperatures, yep. at that appropriate temperature, and move on. Just saying, uh, in the subcontinent, they eat spicy food and drink hot tea, and uh, that's how they uh, manage the heat there. Just in saying. the subcontinent. <laughs> T- tell me your English without telling me your English. <laughs> what, what, here, here? Let's get a... Anyway, uh, let's uh, go to our hot takes, shall we? <laughs> More appropriately. If you have a hot take listener, please send it in to us. We have a Discord where we have a hot takes channel. If you'd like to access that, patreon.com slash Show, and you can support the show in that way if you choose to do so. If not, ping them to us on Twitter as well. John Adams has been in the Discord, Joe. Check this one out. Vincent Company, my, uh, my pronunciation there, mm-hmm. not John's, will figure out... We'll, I'm going to start that again. Vincent <laughs> Company will figure it out and Burnley will stay up this season. He thinks Burnley are going to stay up this season. Last season, Joe, in the championship, Burnley were having a lovely old time. 87 goals, 101 points. They destroyed it. This season, they are not. Yeah, they're not. But I am still taking this one. So I agree with John. I think Burnley are going to stay up Mostly because I I said that before the start of the year, and we are still very early on in the Premier League season. Just one point so far for Burnley. They have a game in hand on basically everyone. Well, on everyone above them, except for Luton. So the game in hand is against Luton, and and that game's coming up shortly. If if they win that match against Luton, they're going to be right in the 15, 16, 17 territory. So not great. Like, they're not home free. It could be difficult this season for Burnley. But the biggest reason why I'm taking this is the schedule. If you go through and look at the games that Burnley have played so far this season, they have played Manchester City, they have played Tottenham, and they have played Manchester United. They lost all of those games, but they've only played five. And those three teams made up three of their first five games as the schedule evens out. And it's not going to next. They've got Newcastle coming up next in the Premier League. But as it evens out, and it will, I think Burnley are going to make up some real ground. And I still think not enough has changed from when we did our, our Premier League previews on the Patreon. Not enough has changed to make me think like, this team isn't what we kind of thought they were. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree with Joe. I would agree with that take. I would add they played Villa as well, who are who are not uh, a poor side themselves. And I think along the way they started off uh, looking too open, as we tend to see when teams come up from the championship playing sort of expansive possession, attacking football. They tend to get. Uh, a reality check pretty quickly and I think then it's how do they respond to that and some clubs continue to persist and and hope that that form pays off I think Burnley have done the sort of hybrid approach of they have tightened up they've they've landed on a back four that I think works and is gaining consistency and chemistry Um, so they're getting fewer like uh, clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities or they're conceding fewer high-percentage shots, uh, which is a very positive sign. While continuing to play some decent football, they still have players coming back from injury, players that have been suspended, players that haven't really hit the form that's expected of them. But the other aspect of this that I think is interesting is the way people write about Burnley. I don't know if that's a product of Vincent Company or if it's a product of how they played last season, but most of what I read in a couple different uh, publications is still very glowing and it's still or if not glowing then at the very least a 
things are okay, things are moving in the right direction, they're figuring things out. And you contrast that with, say, uh, maybe Sheffield United or even Everton. And the coverage is much more things don't seem good, things aren't working, things aren't clicking, the squad isn't there yet, the chemistry isn't there, will it get there? It doesn't seem like it will. And Burnley's is much more so it seems like it's getting there, we have faith that it will get there. And I think that in Vincent Company, they have a manager who shows a lot of promise, has certainly the pedigree as a player, but is building that as a coach. And I think Burnley in the past have shown themselves willing to stick with a manager, even if they are relegated. And so I think Company will figure this this team out. I think they are good. There's a good chance Burnley stay up. I'll explain that hesitation in a moment. But I think even if they go down, my guess would be that Vincent Company is still their manager and that they kind of stick with him and give him another opportunity to kind of further develop. As to whether or not they, they will stay up, I think a lot of that depends on who is worse than them or who will likely fall off. Luton seem like they are content to go back down. Sheffield seems like they are likely to go back down. So if you have those two, then it's a, a matter of, is it Burnley, Everton, Wolves, Bournemouth, maybe a, a couple other clubs who sort of have big drop-offs. And of those listed, I think Wolves could be in a lot of trouble. They have, what, one win from their first six games, uh, that only win coming against Everton, who themselves aren't looking particularly good. They lost in the EFL Cup to Ipswich this week. They drew against Luton at the weekend. It just doesn't seem like Wolves are going to spend a ton of money or really putting themselves in a position to fully stay up. So I feel like if Burnley do find some form and a little bit more consistency and get some results, I do think Burnley end up in that 15th, 16th uh, sort of range where Wolves, Everton could maybe have longer seasons again. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Taylor, because it doesn't require necessarily Vincent Company to uh, figure out and have this team lost yeah. on the table. It just requires three worse teams, essentially. Yeah. It's the it's the old joke about like uh, if if you're with somebody in the woods and a bear attacks you, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than that person. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's just yeah. you have to be faster than three other teams in the Premier League. And I think Burnley have the capability and belief to, I think, make that happen. Yeah, so uh, currently in the Premier League relegation zone after five slash six games, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United, the uh, promoted teams. But in that uh, circling drain, Everton, Wolves and Bournemouth at the moment. So yeah. you think it's probably Wolves who would who would substitute themselves in for Burnley in that scenario? Surprisingly, because I, I feel like the, I, I like their managerial appointment. I like like sort of what they've been able to do with a very limited budget and the lack of spending that that's been pretty clear there, but it just, it does not seem like a positive environment. It feels like one that won't get as much coverage because it's wolves. They've been in the Premier league. They're going to figure it out. They've always been kind of like negative or boring, but they always find a way to win. And I think, Maybe when suddenly they're still in 17th or 18th around November, December is when we'll start getting think pieces about, oh, Wolves could be in trouble. And I, and I, I just feel like they're going to be a team that isn't ever going to really find themselves in 12th or something like that. I feel like they're going to stay in these spots for most of the season. All right. Uh, sounds like we took that one, John. Thank you very much for your take there. We go now from a take from Matt Janowski, also in the Discord Chris Henderson was a more important signing for Inter Miami than Leo Messi. Joe Chris Henderson, of course, the sporting director at Inter. I, I This is a really interesting philosophical question, which I'm going to relate to music, Joe. It's kind of like saying that, if you're going to talk about Taylor Swift, saying that Max Martin or Jack Antonoff, the producers, writers, who are putting the pieces together, are they more important than Swifty out there on stage singing the song? Nope. That's my answer to this question. <laughs> I, am, I am leaving this. Now, I'll admit, I, I had to think about this, right? Because 
you think about that general philosophy, and, and I, I do think there is like kind of a fun philosophical discussion to be had here. You think about building something for the long term, which is what Chris Henderson is trying to do as the chief soccer officer for Inter Miami. And you think about what Messi can do over the rest of the season and next season and maybe a little bit after that. One is building towards something lasting and one is not, at least not inherently. So on the surface, I am always tempted to go towards the building something that lasts side of this equation, but I'm still leaving this one. I'm leaving it really, really hard because I think there are a few Chris Henderson level executives in MLS, uh, but there is only one, Lionel Messi. <laughs> that is really mm -hmm. the answer. They're each valuable and each raise the profile of the club in different ways, which is what everybody at Inter Miami wants, right? They want to continue to get better. You get there from on-field success. You get there from signings. You get there from marketing. You get there from all these different angles. But Chris Henderson is replaceable and Lionel Messi is not. I'll do, I'll do a little bit of background on Chris Henderson because I'm guessing a lot of folks out there won't know. Former player, played for the U.S., played in the United States, was a part of the front office and in Seattle for a long time during their peak, and then was named chief soccer officer and sporting director in Miami back in 2021 to replace Paul McDonough. That was a weird time for Miami. Uh, in many ways, this is also a weird time, but a much better weird time for Inter-Miami. I just think, even though the long-term goal that Chris Henderson surely has of making this club one of the best, if not the best in MLS and in this region year after year after year, I think that goal is noble and is critical to the long-term success of Inter-Miami. I think there are other people who could do that job or at least do it pretty darn well, and there's nobody that can do a Leo Messi impression. Yeah. Yep. 100% agree with Joe. And Ryan, I appreciate your analogy. I think the, the difference for me in this case would be because I think there is an argument that producers can be as or more important than the artist. I think if we're going to extend that analogy here, it would be like the producer was in the studio while the owner of the studio did the mixing on the album. Because in this case, from everything I've read, Chris Henderson has done a lot for Miami, was not really involved in the acquisition yeah. of Lionel Messi, wasn't there flying to Barcelona, wasn't doing a lot of the the recruitment and the kind of pitching to uh, Jorge Me Messi, Messi's father, uh, wasn't there like doing the Apple deal or talking to Don Garber about how to make this happen. That seems to have been largely Jorge Moss and a few other people at Inter Miami. So then like, and I think that would have made, been a, made a difference to me. If you're talking about the guy who got Messi there, then maybe we're having a different conversation. But in this case, it feels like Messi has been largely responsible for the way things have gone for Inter Miami. Are they able to get Tata Martino with Phil Neville leaving and the club in sort of a state of disarray? I, I don't think so. They're certainly not as likely to get Busquets and Alba, or at least not utilize them as effectively without Lionel Messi there, in my opinion. I think additional signings are going to keep arriving, and they're going to keep making good, smart signings, because I think people want to play with Messi. And we've seen this in other leagues, in the NBA specifically. When you get those like, like kind of super teams, the, the big three, you get players taking the league minimum or the veteran minimum because they want to play with three all-stars who are probably going to win a championship. And I think that will go a long way towards solidifying Inter-Miami for a few years. And to Joe's point, even if what Chris Henderson is doing in terms of establishing Miami as a long-term club and sort of giving them long-term stability, it's still the case that without Messi and without what they've done this summer, that's still a club that he can have that as a goal, but he's still taking over from Paul McDonough, who's suspended and and there's financial restrictions and there's fines and there's a lot of questions about how this club is being operated and how above board they actually are. And I think those questions go away to some extent because Messi arrives and 
And I think the league is not going to, I mean, the league is involved in that conversation about how do you make Messi get to Miami? So to me, even if Henderson does things in the long term and the short term, it's an, it's almost entirely little Messi going there that I think shapes that club. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, I think we're on the same page on that front. The one other thing I wanted to add, I hadn't thought about this a ton until we got this take from Matt. So thank you for that, Matt. Is like how much of an impact Chris Henderson's actually had? Because Taylor, you got to it. He was not the one doing the heavy lifting to sign Leo Messi. Now, he, he, I'm sure he did some of the early foundational work to make sure that they didn't fill the roster spot that Messi was coming in. I, I, I Actually, I don't even think so because I think they started their courting like two years before he was hired or a year before he's hired. I think they started it in 2021. So I feel like that's when they started moving towards it. But yes, I hear your point that he still did enough to keep them in a position where they could actually sign him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I mean. So I, I think he has done some things and he's made some signings that I think have worked out quite well. But I don't think we've really seen what Chris Henderson looks like as the number Agreed. one for Inter Miami because, as I mentioned earlier, he gets hired in the aftermath of sanctions and roster restrictions that are still affecting Inter Miami. Let's not forget those finally finished at the end of this season. And now, and for the next year, like the six players that everybody talks about the most for this into Miami team are Messi, Busquets, Alba, really didn't have a massive role to play there. And then the three South American youngsters that Tata Martino brought in, or at least that's that's the outward perception that I have. So we don't really know. We just know that Henderson has a great rep and has been involved in successful projects before. I'm just curious to see like once this blows over, and it will take a year or maybe two for that to actually happen, I'm curious to see what kinds of moves he actually makes. Ooh. Thank you very much, Matt, for the question. And uh, Chris, Henderson, Chris Henderson, thanks you, Joe, for the uh, performance review there. Uh, much appreciated. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more hot takes, hopefully a bit hotter than Matt Janowski's one. Thank you very much, Matt. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, take it or leave it. We go now to Yar in the Discord. Yar, who says MLS will not be a top league or a league of choice or whatever Garba's most recent language is in the world in the next 15 years. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I enjoy it as a domestic league where many American players have an opportunity to develop and have a career. Taylor, this is an interesting one. I think I'm, I'm quite, it's kind of a, a cool, a nice warm take. This makes sense in many ways to me. Yeah. Um, do you remember, Taylor, February 2020, you and I in New York City, we went to the MLS Thanks for the kickoff. invite, guys. Love that. Continue. <laughs> oh, 
awkward. <laughs> if, if, it, if it helps, Joe, we spent most of that time talking about how nice it was that it was just the two of us. Yes, right. exactly. Now that, was, weirdly, that doesn't help at all, actually. Thank you. Yeah. It was lovely. It was lovely. Uh, and also, you know, February 2020, it was lovely. That season went off without a hitch. Oh, dude. Uh, the 25th anniversary MLS season. Right. Taking a train home from New York and watching Train to Busan about, like, a viral zombie outbreak on a train as I'm getting, like, periodic up- updates about coronavirus hitting and getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Late February of 2020 was quite the time to be in New York, I have to say. But yes, I do remember that uh, MLS 25 were the next big thing. Gianluca Busio is here because reasons, question mark. But also David Beckham is here and everybody wants to talk to David Beckham about stuff. So we had David Beckham on stage in a nice uh, conference room in New York. We also had um, Jorge Mas, uh, Mm -hmm. the aforementioned of Inter Miami, who I believe, if I, I, I can't remember the quote off the top of my head, but I think he said in the next 10 to 15 years, Major League Soccer will be up there with the top five leagues in Europe. Um, so he is of the opinion, or certainly he put that opinion out there, Taylor, that the MLS, uh, the MLS, excuse me, no definitive article, will be a top league or a league of choice. But with Yar's opinion here, I'm with it that it doesn't matter if it is, because it's the, still the domestic league and mm-hmm. it's cool to have the domestic league grow as it is growing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to compete with Europe necessarily. Yeah, I honestly think, I mean, I will take this take from Yar, first of all, because uh, if we're if I'm going with like the easy way out, yes, I agree that Yar is perfectly okay with it being uh, a fine league. But largely, I agree that it won't be in that sort of league of choice, top league, whatever category. And and I think it's kind of dumb to continuously try to make it that because I'm not sure it ever will be that because that requires Europe to look to the United States as a place where that's where you go to make the money and play the best soccer. And I think there is automatically a bias against that that. No matter how good Americans get, there's still going to be a like, yeah, you're American. Like, we'll see. Give it some time. Um, and I think that shouldn't be MLS's goal. I think it, their goal should be to develop the best league possible. I still think the – I increasingly basically think the structure of the league itself and the fact that it's that closed model will hurt the overall growth of the game or the overall appeal of the league because I think it doesn't really work. It works in NFL or NBA or MLB where you don't really have competition around the world. Whereas in the with soccer, you certainly do. So I think having it be no relegation, closed model, there's not really a huge penalty if you're not spending or you're not trying to make the best team possible. I think that will limit it to some extent. But I do think if you embrace it as its own thing, its, its own weirdness, it has its own rules, some of which I would love to be changed or gotten rid of. But I think if you embrace it as its own thing, its own entity that doesn't need to compete with Europe because that's not the goal. The goal is to develop American players and have a great league in the United States. Then I think it's very much capable of doing that because I think we're already on the way and we've seen how much it's grown in the last 10 or 15 years. I think if you project that forward, it gets stronger. There's more money. There's better players. There's more talent. There's a larger player pool. But I still don't think that puts it anywhere on that level with Europe. And I'm not sure that's a thing that they need to be prioritizing. Taylor, I I broadly agree with what with what you said there. I want to ask you specifically in regards to Mm -hmm. the closed system. I I Mm -hmm. think everybody would agree from an entertainment perspective, having pro rel is awesome. And it is like one of the coolest things in sports, period, stop, end. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, like you're talking about the closed system holding MLS back, which again, I think it does. My question is kind of how much, and the example Mm -hmm. that I want to draw in is the Saudi league. Like uh, genuinely, does anyone care? Does anyone even know or care? I mean, I I do know that they have pro rel, but really does the casual soccer fan who has started watching, watching the Saudi league because of Ronaldo and Ben's, all these players, do they care at all that they have pro or is money something that you can throw at this issue 
that Major League Soccer will continue to try to throw at this issue and hopefully do more so than they have already, that can sort of bypass that need. It is, but then if the stated objective or the ideal goal is parity, where anybody can win, and that's the point of this system, you can't have both. You can't have a few clubs that are spending and spending and spending and, and have eased salary budgets or eased salary restrictions, or if you remove them entirely, you're going to have a few clubs that will spend more money than everybody else, and then you lose that parity. So I think right now, it's it's like sort of there's an indecision in what the identity is going to be. To your yeah. point, yeah, no, I don't think anybody cares about that in Saudi Arabia. I think they do have pro-rel, to be yeah. fair, but I don't think anybody cares about it because they've, I mean, literally put the Saudi investment fund into four teams. And I think the expectation would be that there will be more money to follow with with more teams, and you end up getting a very, very well-funded top flight. But for now, it is about attracting eyeballs and attention and getting big names over there. I don't think MLS has that same approach, or I don't think they can have that same approach, because if you are trying to make it that, like, no, we're all about you operate within your budget, you operate within your means, and the smartest teams, the best teams that play the best soccer and come together the most end up winning, I think those two things are immediately at odds with each other. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and that's part of the reason that I'm taking this this take from Yar. I do not I do not think MLS will be a top league or a league of choice or whatever you want to call it in 15 years. I think it will be closer than it is now, to be honest. I think the gap between MLS and basically every league in the world that is not the Premier League will be closer 15 years from now than it is today, but I think it will take longer for them to get to La Liga, the Bundesliga Serie A, to get on that level. I think we're talking decades on decades on decades, and I'm not sure that the Premier League will be within reach for anyone Mm. by that point. I think it's going to take time. The part that I'm leaving of this take from Yar is being perfectly okay with that. Um... I'm still mostly fine with it, right? There's nothing I I can do in any real way to further MLS's progress as a sporting entity. But what I will say is, like, this is the moment, right? This is the moment with Lionel Messi in your league. This is the time to go out and really try to make a push and expedite that timeline. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take decades, like I'm saying. But it feels like this is a unique point in time to capitalize on interest that you will never have again. To capitalize on this moment and expedite that timeline to get closer to the ultimate goal, which should be becoming a league that people want to watch, that more and more people want to watch. Mm -hmm. So I I hope that MLS pushes in a moment right now that they've never had and will never have. I I just don't know for sure if we're going to see that or not, even though I am probably more optimistic about that now than I was, say, a month ago or two months ago or a year ago or whatever it is. Yeah, I think there's definitely a line between like being fun and interesting and experimental and being gimmicky. But I, I go back to I think the smartest thing MLS could do is continue to to put money in as they have, continue to kind of loosen restrictions here and there so that teams can be better and can operate better on the international stage. But I really think just like not saying like when Europe says we're good enough, then we're good enough. It, it's it's as vague to me as like the war on terror. And David Cross has that joke about like. At no point are we going to be like, got them all. Everybody loves us. The world is safe. Like when you announce a war on this like idea, you're going to run into problems. And when you're like, we have to be one of the, the best leagues in the world, perceived as the best league in the world. I mean, is anyone going to overtake the Premier League anytime soon? I don't think so. Like, I just think it, it you make it much harder when you're looking like, I guess, broadly speaking, to outside viewers for validation. Whereas I think if you're focused on your own development, your own growth and how you want to grow as a league to become the dominant league in North America to start and maybe in the Western Hemisphere as like a a secondary step. I think reflecting 
who you're bringing in and the ideals of the country, but also the people who are supporting you, that to me is much more important. And so that's where I, I kind of agree with Yar lar- largely that if it's emphasizing American player development and Western Hemisphere player development or CONCACAF or whatever it is, and you're loosening restrictions and you're allowing teams to be more competitive and to find new ways to be competitive, like I, I think all of that makes it a much more engaging league. I, I uh, And I'm not even a pro rail truther or anything like that. I don't think you have to open it up entirely. I would love that, but I don't think that's possible. But if they were to expand to 40 teams and make it MLS one and MLS two, and you have limited relegation promotion, I think at least there are consequences and it makes the regular season matter. It matters if you're a bad team. And I talk to people who are lifelong NFL fans or lifelong MLB or NBA and and there is an agreement that like man it would be awesome if the NFL had relegation that would be so cool because it would mean that franchises can't just be bad for years and collect draft picks and then maybe be rewarded for that i think ownership is probably always going to be a limiting factor there but i i think the idea of promotion relegation appeals on a very natural basis and i do wish that were part of it because i think it creates interest it creates drama and it creates a sense of importance or that things matter that much more and i think you can't have players just come in and coast and oh well we're out of like we're likely out of the playoff spots halfway through the season who cares i just think it it makes it more meaningful i think you're going to get more buy-in more regularly more consistently I think that's about right. And I think we're we're pretty much on board with you on this one for the most part. Uh, I think the, the idea of the league getting becoming one of the best in the world in the next 15 years, I think it's it, it, it's predicated on the fact that the European leagues won't also get better in their 15-year yeah. period as well. The talent gap could close between these leagues, but I think it, it, it's impossible because obviously the European leagues will be growing. Wait, wait, well. sorry. Let, uh, that's interesting and not something I've thought about before. I think the Premier League is ascending. Ryan, do you feel that the other top European leagues are are also? Because I kind of feel like the trajectory for them has changed. Not down, but I I don't feel that La Liga and Serie A and the Bundesliga and Liga are growing at all the same way that the Premier League is. Well, I don't think in 15 years the other big four European leagues will be smaller than they are now. They're still going to grow, right? Is that I, fair? Yeah, I guess I guess if they're all growing, it's like inflation, right? If it's all happening hmm. at, at some rate, I just feel like the rate has slowed to the point where, frankly, those leagues are more vulnerable now than they have been in a long, long time or, or maybe ever before. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out in 15 years. Let's let's bookmark it and come back. When we're all enjoying the Super League in 15 years, Joe, <laughs> we shall probably not find out. But, y'all, thank you very much for that uh, take uh, from the Discord. Another one here, E. Gusty in the Discord. Eliminating the ability to play it back to the goalkeeper would be an effective way to cut down on time-wasting. Ooh, this is a this is a hot one, Joe. What do we think about this one? Um, I mean, I, I think there's other ways that you can cut down time wasting, but I, I still I like it as a concept. I think that is basically my notes right there. So yep. I'm I'm leaving this one. <laughs> I, I think this would cut down on time wasting, but I'm I'm quibbling with the word effective. I think hey. that Augusta uses <laughs> like Joe. But Joe, sorry, my notes are I'm leaving this one over semantics. I think there's a chance it might, but I don't think it would be a particularly effective way to do so. Yes, a hundred percent. Like I, I like the I like the thinking, and I I'm not a big fan of time wasting, so I'm I'm behind the spirit of this take. I'm just not actually with ta- with this take. I don't think this is even near the top of the time wasting list. I'm sure it happens, right? Like. I, I'm sure teams pass back to the goalkeeper as a way to waste time. I, I believe that that's a thing. But when I think about like a, a soccer game in my head and a moment where time wasting happens, this is not something that comes to mind. Like when a team is passing back to their goalkeeper, 
I, I'm guessing it's either because it's part of their style to draw the op the opposition forward and play through them, or like maybe they're trying to waste a little time when they're up one nil or two nil early in a game. But like at the end of a game, isn't it losing teams pushing up and either having the ball themselves, and therefore this is not something that happens, or them pressing on a back pass and forcing the ball? Like I, I don't know. I'm just I'm not really buying that this is a huge issue, and so I'm leaving it. Taylor Levy Levy. Leaving. Uh, I think my idea would be to have a, a clock similar to a play clock in the NFL behind the goal. And as soon as the ball is down for the goal kick, it starts counting down from six. And if it reaches yes. zero, yep. yellow card. Right. Yep. There. Taylor, That's how is, we're cutting it down. This is in my notes. I said there's other effective ways yeah. for the goalkeeper uh, to, to punish or to regulate the goalkeeping to cut out time wasting. And it's a six second rule. There is a six second rule of where you have to release the ball where you're holding it, which came in in like the 90s. Very rarely enforced. Yeah. Yep. But I also think... Uh, I, I would go as far to say, Taylor, as six seconds to take the goal kick, and that's putting the ball down as well. Yeah. In fact, to your point about it not being policed, I find that if people start counting, which I have done in games, and I've been around people who do that, where it's like they just hold fingers up and start counting, refs get more annoyed about the counting than they do the yeah. time-wasting. Yeah. So I think making it a like observable clock would certainly help. I don't think really like changing things when the ball is live is going to do much. I, I would agree that... like. Going back to the 90s when you would have people or, or late 80s, early 90s, when you'd have people turn like at midfield and boot the ball back to their goalkeeper who could then catch the ball. I think that definitely slows things down. But in this case, when you're pinging it all the way back, they have to control it and that can create chaos unto itself. I agree with Joe. I think largely it's going to be about the goalkeeper stylistically having the ball and, and being key in distribution. So I don't think that's going to do much for cutting down on time wasting versus having the clock like sort of run when there's a stoppage or making it, I don't know, like you have to get the player off the pitch in a faster time. I think there's, there's things that can be done to, uh, to incentivize restarts. I think even I'm kind of into the idea of making it a 60 minute game, but the clock stops every single time the ball goes out of bounds. And so you don't have any time wasted. I think that would be really interesting. Even if I think the game would then be probably hours two hours long. long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll make it much longer. Yes. I think but that's, I like that in, in principle, Joe, what about this one as a, as a time wasting um, exercise? If, if a player, holds the ball in the corner flag like we see so often at the end of games uh you're allowed to shove them as hard as you can <laughs> off the ball with no pro with no uh <laughs> no repercussion i'm i'm incredibly into that i thought about the corner flag thing because that is the time wasting method when the ball is in play that i think of the most and i was wondering well can you like add little dotted lines to the corners and the team that's winning by at least two goals can't go in and i just i didn't like any of those ideas but shoving someone yeah. as hard as you can i'm into that ryan let's rugbyify yeah. this darn game there you go. Into a pile of photographers, if possible. That's uh, what we want to do with that one. All right. <laughs> uh, so I think we're leaving that one, Egusty. Thank you very much for it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's getting hotter in here. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, take it or leave it. We go to Duck Detective, which is one of my favourite handles in our Discord. Hot take, says Duck Detective. Making the keeper's box the six instead of the 18-yard box would increase scoring without changing the game too much. Joe, at first I was like, no, that's absurd. And then suddenly I was like, oh, wow, this this is actually quite good. I, I think I might take this because... Like, how often is a save or a clearance made outside the six, proportionally speaking? It's only, the keeper holding the ball is typically only for distribution outside of the six. Is that fair to say? I don't think many actions happen outside the six for goalkeepers. They do happen, right? And I'm, I'm taking this partially because I think this would help increase scoring, which is what Detective is saying. I'm not saying I'm, I'm necessarily interested in implementing this, Boom. but I think it would have the impact that that he's, he's talking about. Detective. also, thanks for coming to our live show in, in Brooklyn. Uh, we appreciate that. Great to have you in the Discord as well. Uh, I, I, think you, I think this would do the job because I, I think about moments in a one-on-one, right? Goalkeepers are taught to come out in certain moments because it will make the angle more difficult for the shooter. And if you limit where a goalkeeper can go and use their hands, that is naturally going to make life a little bit easier for the attacking team and will naturally then, as a result increase the total number of goals that are scored in this sport. So I totally think this would do what what it's set out to do. I just don't know that I actually want to do it, but I, I, I love the idea. Honestly, I really do like it. It's very creative. Taylor, join us in taking it. Join us. Leaving for oh, sure. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. My question, Taylor, before my... you answer, before you answer, yeah. I'm saying take as in yeah. this is this would have the effect as described. Ryan is saying take as it would have the effect as described, and let's do it. Are yeah. you leaving it as I don't want to see it, or it wouldn't work? It feels gimmicky to me. It feels like an unnecessary thing. Get off my lawn, to be like, thing. maybe it'll be interesting. And <laughs> and to me, that's not really where I want to like move into making it happen. I mean, I think it could be interesting for sure. Maybe maybe we try it in like a friendly and see how it goes. My question is, do we still have the eighteen yard box, or is that gone entirely? 
Well, it would serve no purpose, would it? Well, Without this is my question penalties, because maybe? then do we ever award penalties? Yeah. Yes, this yep. is it. Like, oh. and then I think about like a keeper coming off their line and having to make saves with their feet. I, I feel like you're going to get a lot more penalties conceded. Oh, wow. So it's a weird like now. I feel like you're getting like two and three penalties a game. Well, I, that would increase scoring. Well, now sure. I need now I need someone who is smarter than me to go out and smarter than any of us to go out and and figure this out because the lack of penalties, penalties would obviously go down as you move from the eighteen to the six. Would that decrease scoring more than the goalkeeper's limitations would increase it? Like, does that make sense? I don't know which of those is stronger. There are a lot of penalties that get awarded over the course of, like, any particular league season. I wonder how many moments there are of goalkeepers coming out, like, per game compared to penalties per game. I'm I'm fascinated by this. I think Detective is still right, but maybe penalties sway it the other way. Actually... Weirdly, I might now be the other way because if you then are making it like a penalty can only be conceded inside the six yard box, like that cuts way down on VAR handball issues. So it, it is then sort of making it that like the keeper can't use their hands outside the six, so they have to come out with their feet on a breakaway. But at the same time, you're not getting as many VAR calls, VAR reviews. I feel like you're going to speed up the game a little bit more. And if there are fouls eight yards from goal, now you've just got a direct free kick with everybody on the line. And, and we see what <laughs> yes. happens there. I feel like that that might be the reason why I'm into it, is that it cuts down on questionable decisions when a player is sort of at the very corner of the box and gets clipped and falls down, and now we've got a penalty, versus, no, you're only getting penalties inside of six yards or something like that. M- maybe I'm more into it for that reason. I, I think this is Team Chaos uh, is on is, is getting involved here. I, I'm liking it more and more the more we talk about it. Frankly, um, <laughs> who's, got, who's got a line to Gianni? Can we get this uh, one push through? Anybody? Wait, one other one other thing, Ryan. Maybe this will sway you back uh, again. I'm still taking this, but I'm also now thinking more and more about how penalties would be affected and how the flow of the game would be affected as a result. Would we agree that generally defenders are more afraid? to challenge attackers in the box because of a penalty. Like, they're inclined to give someone more space inside the 18 than they are outside of the 18. Taylor says yes. Ryan, would you say yes? Of course. Okay. So if, then, the box, the area that they're afraid of committing a challenge, is only 6 yards high instead of 18 yards high, could we not then infer that defenders would have much more rain in that part of the field, which would also decrease scoring? So maybe, again, this doesn't work. Ryan, would that sort of weigh you the other way, or are you just here for chaos and defenders making crazy challenges. I, I think that's offset by the fact that you'd have all those free kicks from like seven yards out. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Which would be amazing. So this is just the James Ward-Prowse rule, which honestly, down for. The yeah. Messi and James Ward-Prowse rule, let's make it happen. And, and really, if we want to go the full route of having goalkeepers uh, do more scoring from the list or questions episode we had yesterday, uh, I, I think about... Yeah, if you've got a free kick now from seven or eight yards out, let's get a Darrison in there and let him hit that ball as hard as he possibly yes. can and just see where that ball ends up. Maybe we get more goalkeeper scoring as a result as well. Good stuff. All right. Uh, so we, are we both, are we all three taking this one? Yes. Yes, but for different reasons, I think. Yes, okay. yes. So I think all three of us for different reasons. Now I'm like, let's go back to making this, the goalkeeper can use their hands anywhere on their half of the pitch and see what that does for inviting goalkeepers off their line and creating even more chaos. Marvelous stuff. Duck Detective, you've opened up a can here. Thank you very much for that one. One more hot take for this episode from Eric, also in the Discord. Soccer punditry would be better if everyone removed the word deserve 
from their vocabulary. How many times is the first question in the studio something like, this was the result, but this team did deserve more today? There are other more interesting ways to talk about how a team played and if the result matched the expectation based on what happened in the game, but ultimately, the ball going into the goal is the sole determining factor in who deserves to win. Um... Taylor, Eric is refusing to uh, acknowledge any nuance in the game here, in, in my opinion. I'm, I'm leaving this one. And I will take it. Um, because, yep. uh, deserve got nothing to do with it. That's, that's, that's words to live by. <laughs> and in this case, I think Eric has done a very smart uh, job of making this about punditry specifically. Because I think so often managers will say we deserve more either to sort of back their players or back their team when it feels like a result went against them. Or to draw attention and basically those generate the headlines of manager complains we deserve to win and then the players don't get as much criticism but from a punditry standpoint which is what specifically is being asked about i agree i think it is oftentimes i think about how often match of the day will cut back after the highlights and gary lineker will do the like bit of a harsh result today right for everything like feels like they deserved more and i feel like that's a way of introducing what can be an interesting conversation, but doing so from a they deserved something immediately implies that there was like an injustice done or something went wrong. And even if there was an injustice, even if a handball was incorrectly given or they got two very marginal penalties ruled against them, like to the point of the question, like you still have to score. You still have to stop them from scoring. You still have to make something happen. And so the idea that they deserved something differently, if it didn't happen, you didn't deserve it. I think that's kind of how it ends up working out. Oh, I, I disagree so strongly with Taylor on that. Um, I, I am leaving this one, Ryan. It sounded like maybe you're leaving it as well. 100%. So there are parts of this that I don't like and parts of, of what you said, Taylor, that I agree with. I don't love the word deserve in this. I, I don't have like a better suggestion, so I guess it, I just have to be fine with it. But My dog I think is, it is, is sleep growling at you right now, Joe. I just want you to know that. So she agrees what? with me and she doesn't like your opinions. Noted and accepted. Um, I, I think it's a little clumsy in terms of how how it enters into the conversation that is more interesting. But I do think it does a decent job generally of getting to the question of which team played better or controlled the game or created more chances but couldn't quite get the ball over the line. Or or even skip that last part, right? Just which team played better and controlled the game and created chances. When you talk about a team that, let's say they lose 1-0 or maybe 2-1 or whatever it is, right? They lose by a goal and it is a fluke. And you mentioned this, Taylor. If it is a fluke, like a, a goalkeeper tosses it into his own net or whatever it is, I think it's an interesting conversation to be had about the team that created chances but couldn't quite find the back of the net. I think it gets you into, even from a punditry perspective, it gets you into a conversation about, well, like what kind of chances did they create? And and maybe why didn't they finish them? Or or how did they not come off? Or what did this team do well that didn't quite happen today to get the ball in the back of the net that could serve them well in the next game? Mm -hmm. I think the conversations are just so much more interesting if you look at something beyond the box score And even though then there are some different parts of this that I I think I agree with Eric on, I just cannot get on board him saying, like, ultimately the ball going into the back of the net is the only thing that factors into Mm. who deserves to win or not. It factors into who did win, but I think there is more to the story than that. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I think we're we're closer to agreeing than it might seem because I, I think you're absolutely right. I think where I agree with Eric is that everything you just said is the more interesting way to talk about it. And so often we settle for they deserve to win today, right? And to me, deserve oftentimes is immediately petulant. It's immediately whiny. It's I deserve that. Like I deserved an A on that. Well, did you study? No, but I deserved an A. Like it, it feels so often like it can be what I was entitled to versus what I earned. To your point, though, Joe, I think there is 
still a lot of nuance to be had. Even if a team loses 1-0 or 4-0 and, and four goals went against them that were unfair or one goal went against them when they had 90% of possession and created more chances and just couldn't finish on the day. There's an interesting conversation about what went wrong, why couldn't they finish, but the idea that they deserved or were entitled to the win is where I think it falls down. So maybe this yeah. is semantics more than anything else, but that's what I take issue with. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I just I think, think then... Um, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, I think it's a valid narrative point for a studio to say that a team deserves more. This game, after all, is a game of fine margins. I think it's valid to say after the Euro 2025, for example, that England deserved more than they got in that game. Uh, that's not just my own bias, but I think it's an interesting narrative point. Or there, there'll be games where, as you say, you can lose 2-0 and you had 88% possession and were the far better team. You could deserve more. And I think it's I think it's perfectly valid to enter a conversation in that way. Yeah, I I, I agree with Ryan. And Taylor, where I, I come back around to agree with you, and I think you're right, we are closer to to being aligned on this, is I would still prefer if it was framed differently. Like, I don't love the deserve framing either. It's just pretty straightforward and something easy, like Ryan, like you're saying, from a narrative perspective, if someone, like even a casual fan is tuning in, that's something that immediately, like, triggers a, a picture of what the game looked like, or at least transmits some of those more storytelling arcs, which it, you can get a story from any game, right? You're getting a general picture of what the game looked like. I think it does a decent job of transmitting that, but I would still probably prefer, you know, the the host lead in with, well, it, it seemed like Arsenal created a lot of chances today, but they, they didn't get on the score sheet. Like, what went wrong, right? I, I think, Taylor, that's where you're coming from and saying that is immediately the more interesting conversation to have than going through the, like, personification of the sport into something that, that maybe it isn't. Yeah. Okay. And even even, like... Again, maybe this is just semantics, but even if it was like, was it an, like, Ryan, I feel like you will ask, was that a bit unfair? And even right there, that, that to me is a more nuanced question than deserve. I think another aspect of it is that, like, sorry, Ryan, but you talking about England there for a moment is a good example. Whenever anybody says we deserved more or the club I support deserved more, I'm, I'm so much more likely to be like, oh, okay, sour grapes, like, whatever, you're a fan, you're biased, versus, if the conversation is they deserved more, it, it does sort of change it for me. So I think it, it is even just how it's used and what it can sort of represent is why I don't love that that word, that phrasing. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also then you could extend that to say that subjectivity means that you can't ever talk about your own club because you're always going to have a bias, right? Yep, which I think you will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really do. Even when I try to be nuanced and like unbiased when it comes to Manchester United and, and I'm critical of them, a thing I am then mindful of is how if I'm talking about Manchester United, that segment tends to be about five minutes longer than another segment because I'm going to talk about them more. So yeah, I think there is something to be said for it's kind of impossible to be objective. There we go. All right, uh, we have taken it or leavened it. Joe, any, any of these uh, takes deserve more, do you think? Yeah, could have got a bit more out of the MLS question. What do you think? Deserve more? Like, oh, oh, I, I literally forgot we just <laughs> talked about deserve. <laughs> I was like, Ryan, what? Are, like, we're winding down. We're not going back. Oh, I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I we all deserve more, Ryan. Let's all let's all get a little bit more. Let's make it happen. Let's do that indeed. <laughs> all right, listener, thank you very much for joining us on Take It or Leave It. Once again, let us know what you think of this format, a youngling format as it is. Uh, you can join us in our Discord, patreon.com slash Show to leave your takes and also do so on our Twitter or our X or whatever the heck we're calling it these days. But for now, Taylor Rockwell and your angrily snoring dog, thank you very much. 
Uh, we say you're welcome. She woke up. She woke herself up from the snoring. Oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> Joe, thank you very much with uh, no snoring dogs insight. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, you got it, Ryan. I'm still just in shock at how I did the exact opposite of yes and you like two seconds ago. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing this episode's coming to a close. It is indeed. Let's wrap it up right here. Listener, thank you the most for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye.